A ver, a ver, a ver. Yo pensé que esto era South of the Eight. Welcome to South of the A, and what do you guys think about the new intro? Too much, too little, too cringy, too corny, I don't know, I just thought it was kind of funny, but um, yeah, just let me know. Anyway, with that, welcome to South of the A, for anyone that's been listening for a while, thank you so much, you guys have made this so much fun, um, the feedback has been great, and also for anyone that's helped with the podcast, also thank you, thank you for so much for taking an hour, two hours out of your day to help me do this crazy hobby. Uh, that said, today we have a pretty special episode. I interview Beatriz Zamora, author of The Spirit of Chicano Park. It's a bilingual kids book that you're going to learn more about in the interview, so I won't give out too much. Also, Beatriz Zamora is an amazing person. Again, you'll learn more about her in the interview, but it's great to see that we have so many amazing leaders in our community, and that's honestly what I aspire to be. You know, I saw this on Twitter a while ago, so I won't take credit for it. But, you know, when people ask you what's your dream job, a lot of us don't dream with labor. You know, we dream about being leaders in our community and helping those around us. And that, honestly, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I couldn't have uh, said it better myself. But with that, just a quick reminder, we are 52 days away from our presidential election. So please, please, please find out whether you're going to be doing mail-in ballots or showing up in person Whatever it is, stay on top of it. You know, I feel like sometimes I think to myself that maybe our, my generation doesn't care, but I think that's not really it. You know, we we do care. We do want to help. We do want to see some change, you know, and it starts with voting. It starts with elections. And listen, I know that getting the big orange Cheeto out of the presidency isn't going to fix everything. That I understand, but it's a start, right? And we talk a little bit about it in the episode Um, but that said, I just feel like being involved is more than just sharing things on Instagram. And although that does help and information is great, you know, our voice is only going to be heard if we vote uh, or if we protest, if we organize. You know, there's there's a lot of things that we can do. And um, I feel like that's one of the important ones. Also, um, I am going to be making an episode dedicated just to the ballot, our local ballot, because like I mentioned Changing the presidency isn't going to solve everything, you know. So with that, I will be having a little bit of a breakdown on the major things that are going to be on the ballot this November because it's not just, again, presidential election. There's going to be other things to vote for, and it's good to stay informed. It's good to stay on top of our stuff. I understand that politics isn't for everybody, but, you know, it's our tax money. It's our communities. It's our neighborhoods. We're the ones being affected directly by it. So I implore everyone to... You know, try to see what's out there. And even if you don't listen to my episode breaking down each thing, because I'll try to make it as uh, bipartisan as possible. I'll keep my emotions out of it. It'll just be what it is and what, how it's described in order so people are aware and can make a, a decision. That's pretty much what it comes down to. But anyway, with that, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Again, hit me up at, at that dude Vega or at SOT8 podcast for any comments, questions, concerns that you may have. Hi, can you go ahead and introduce yourself for me? Yeah, hi, my name is Beatriz Zamora and um, I'm a San Diego County resident and I've re recently written a children's book. Great, can you tell me a little bit more about that, uh, about the book? 
Yeah, it's my first children's book, and it's called The Spirit of Chicano Park, El Espíritu del Parque Chicano. It's a bilingual children's book, uh, pretty much geared for the ages of about maybe six to eight years of age. Um, but it's also got a lot of history. Uh, it's historical fiction, but has a lot of good information for the community and for parents as well. And it really showcases the founding of Chicano Park, yeah. which just yeah. celebrated its 50th anniversary. Yeah, unfortunately, given COVID, I know that the, the plans for the 50th anniversary seem very grandiose, very, you know, it was going to be a celebration, unfortunately, with the, um, with the quarantine and everything, it wasn't able to happen. That said, it doesn't mean it's not worth celebrating. You know, 50 years is a big accomplishment. Uh, from what I understand, Chicano Park wasn't even supposed to happen. Is that correct? Sure. Uh, Chicano Park, um, really what happened in, in Logan Heights is what the neighborhood was called. And then the city came along and, and changed the name to Body of Logan. Um, but Logan Heights was an old community, one of the first Chicano communities in San Diego. I think the very first one was Old Town and then it was Logan Heights. Right. And so it was a vibrant community uh, that faced a lot of destruction from the uh, building of Interstate 5 Freeway and the Coronado Bridge. Yeah, and I feel like um, infrastructure like that definitely displaces a lot of people, not just because of uh, environment, environmental things, uh, but definitely just gentrification. I feel like it's, it was a start of gentrification as we know it in our communities uh, because it was for the convenience of other people uh, to the cost of our communities, right? Yeah, it, as a matter of fact, um, you know, what they did is they exercised the laws of the law called eminent domain. And it's something that happens um, nationally and often happens in poorer, uh, underserved communities, communities that are viewed as being somewhat voiceless. Right. And so they come through and they build freeways and they build, you know, bridges and, and other structures. Uh, but Logan Heights went from being a vibrant community of about 20,000 residents to 5,000 residents. Wow, that's a big difference. Obviously, um, I feel like when things like this get brought up, um, a lot of people that might be benefiting from it will say, well, you know, it helps everybody. It's good for everybody. But it, I feel like they're not paying attention to the displacement of the people that grew up in the communities and unfortunately either can't afford it anymore or are forced out of their own community, what they know and what they grew up on. So, um, yeah, unfortunately. But thankfully, we uh, Chicago Park did happen. So can you tell me a little bit more of how it got it done, how the community got down together and got it done? Yeah, so after the community experienced just a tremendous devastation, um, there was this little plot of land underneath the Coronado Bridge that um, was just vacant. It was just a vacant lot. And um, the community had been meeting with city officials asking for a park. And uh, after lots of meetings and years would go by, um, the city did finally promise to build a park. And then one day, the story goes like this, a famous uh, young man was walking through the neighborhood, uh, Mario Solis, and he sees bulldozers and he sees that there's construction going to happen and he starts talking to the construction guys and they, and they laughed at him and they just said, you know, this isn't going to be a park, man. This is going to be a highway patrol substation. Oh, wow. And so a lot of people consider him to be like the Paul Revere of the neighborhood, right? He runs right. through the streets telling everybody, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, 
they reneged on their promise. They're not going to build us a park. They're going to build a highway patrol substation, yeah. which was the last thing they needed. They didn't need more police. They already had enough police. Um, and we know the story there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like I, um, I definitely understand. I feel like, again, people don't seem to understand, uh, understand the importance of something like a park, right? Especially at the level that Chicano Park has been used, has been uh, such a big part of the community. Sometimes we do see parks and unfortunately they're empty. You know, even they might be really pretty, but no one's there, you know, no one's playing around. But Chicano Park is, it's a different kind of park. I mean, it's, it really is almost um, a center for a lot of the things that happen in Border Logan. So I feel like uh, it, it was, it was good that they pushed for it and the community saw, saw an issue and they stood up for it. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of times for voiceless communities, it's easy for, I don't want to say the government, because there's always like that, they're the bad guys, you know, but there's a lot of bureaucracy that goes behind uh, what gets done and what doesn't. So that's why it's important, uh, like you mentioned, to stand up and say that there's an issue and make sure that we follow through. Uh, from what I understand, you're also in a Chicano Park, uh, Chicano Park Association. Is that correct? Or am I saying that correct? Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a group that was formed actually the night of the occupation. So there was an actual occupation that oh, took wow. place over a 12-day period. And what, what the people did is they came out and they made a human chain. And it was, it was las mamas, abuelitas, it was yeah. the children, it was college students and artists and people who just were attracted to this um, movement. It was 1970, right after Vietnam War and a lot of the social justice movements that we were experiencing in the, in the nation. Right. And they went down and they camped out for 12 days and they would not let the bulldozers work. And then they started bringing their own little plants. And they started bringing, you know, their little tents. They put up, they slept overnight there. And they started planting their own plants. And then they continued to meet with the city for months after that. And eventually got, okay, we're going to give you the park. We're going to help you build the park. Um, but when that happened, a committee formed. And it's called the Chicano Park Steering Committee. And it's been in existence for 50 years. Um, the main chairperson for maybe the last... I don't know, 40 some odd years has been Tommy Camarillo. And it's a, it's a very uh, grassroots community driven uh, movement. They meet once a month on Sundays and yes, I am a member of the committee. That's great. I feel like uh, obviously something as big as Chicano park needs, um, needs a committee to be, make sure that things get done or things are accomplished and uh, I feel like that's something that people take for granted, right? People probably don't even know that Chicano Park has a committee, but that's what I'm sure that's how things happen in Chicano Park the way they do. And that's why they're usually so smoothly. And uh, with the uh, with the beautification that we're having with some of the murals, I've been down there a couple of times because, you know, parks is really all we can do. And um, seeing seeing the again, the murals are amazing, but just see seeing a lot of them being done again. It's great. I feel like a lot of that probably has to go through the committee. Is that correct? Obviously, yes. The uh, Chicano Park Steering Committee consider themselves to be stewards of the park. And so they're always uh, negotiating with city officials because it is a, a, a city-run park. Right. Um, but they, you know, when they wanted to build the kiosco, the main stage, which is very unique, right? You've probably yeah. never seen another one like no, it. No, it's beautiful, um, yeah. The city had plans written, uh, drawn out by an architect, Mr. Larin, 
Uh, and it was going to look very colonial, like many of the kioscos you might have seen throughout Mexico. Yeah. Um, but the committee said, no, we don't want that. We want something that really exemplifies our indigenous roots. And so they worked long and hard to get that kiosco built in the way that they wanted. Um, the same with, you know, the playground and the bathrooms. I mean, it's like things that people think just automatically happen. Right. No, the Chicano Park Steering Committee is involved with that, making sure things are done in a way that serves the community best. Anyone who wants to paint a mural, they bring their mural concept to the committee, they review it, they ask questions, they ask them about funding, they ask them about safety issues because there's a lot of scaffolding that happens and all of that. And the steering committee really are the people who make the decisions as to um, any changes in the park, any scheduling, they run a calendar, everything. The city always defers to the Chicano Park Steering Committee when it comes to scheduling events in the park. And so, yeah, they are the caretakers and um, <laughs> they live and they love that park. <laughs> That's amazing. I feel like um, it's great to take uh, pride in something so special. So, because you guys are really giving back to the community in so many different ways. When people think of what they want to do for their community, things like that really aren't paid attention to, but they, they are a big part of what get things done, as you mentioned, or keep things usable. I mean, like Chicano Park wouldn't be what it is without the community, and much as, you know, Barrio Logan wouldn't be without what it is without Chicano Park. So it really seems like there's a lot of parts in play. Well, I was going to say, I think what, what makes Chicano Park so unique, um, at least for me, when I think of Chicano Park, I think of it as um, sacred land. And um, it's sacred land because of a variety of reasons. It's sacred land because so many people have given so much of their love and energy to that park who have now passed on. Yeah. Um, it's sacred because the movement was a movement of the community that found their voice and took civic action and they made that park happen. So they, it, you know, it was a big step towards greater self-determination. Yeah. And, and it's sacred because um, it's a meeting place, as you say. It's the place where people go in our community, in the Chicano community, to come together, whether it's a celebration, a wedding, a funeral, a baby, a baby naming ceremony, or it's to meet for, for some kind of a political action, you know, to take, yeah. to start a march on immigration or to, you know, stand up for uh, or against police brutality, things like that. So this park is, is amazing. And when I think about the park, I really think of it as kind of this, um, almost like, I mean, it does have its spirit. I guess that's why I named the book, The Spirit of Chicano Park. Yeah. Because out of this park came a lot of different movements. And so those movements continue to thrive. Uh, because of the park, but then they also give back to the park and, and the park thrives because of their energy. And in the back of my book, I've showcased uh, 12 different, um, what I call, I call them community champions. And so, you know, I've showcased people who, who work on the organizational piece, who work on um, getting the, the park recognition. I mean, to become a national landmark in the nation is unheard of yeah. to get that status 
we have artists showcased. We have dancers, Danza Azteca, Ballet Folklorico. We have the music from Chunky Sanchez, who's a famous local musician who passed away a few years ago. Um, and we have the Brown Beret showcased and the Lowriders, because they're another big part of the part. Right, yeah. I mean, it's a children's book, so we couldn't have everything. <laughs> but I think yeah. that symbiotic relationship between the park and the people and these different movements is pretty unique and pretty amazing. And so for me, that's why the park is sacred. It's a very special place. Well, that's actually pretty interesting that you bring up because there's definitely some kind of um, energy that you feel when you walk around the park, especially as someone that is Chicano or is from the Mexican-American descent. Um, there is a diff there's a different feeling that you get from walking from that park to walking to a different park because you're seeing the murals, you're seeing um, the structures, you're seeing the kiosk, as you mentioned, and you know it, it, you can't help but smile. You know, it's like, oh, like, look, that, that person on that mural looks like me. You know, I, I look like that or like, oh, look, that's that's where I come from. Or, you know, here's a little story of, of this. Here's a little story of that. And it just you can't help but smile. And I feel like, as you mentioned, it's very symbiotic um, because we feed off the park and I feel like the park feeds off of us. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. I really I really do love that park. I feel like that's a that's a great segue over to your book. Uh, I'd love to talk a little bit more about it. Can you tell me sure. a little bit about the illustrations? Let's go ahead and start with that. So the illustrator is a local artist. Her name is Maida Mesa, and she's amazing. Um, and she, again, just like the Chicano Park Steering Committee, everyone's a volunteer. She volunteered to help with this project. Um, and she and I worked together for oh, about a year and a half, um, just kind of, you know, trying to have the pictures portray what the story was trying, you know, to the message the story is trying to give. Right. So she's awesome. <laughs> That's great. So how did the idea for the book come along? Is it something that you've had in your head for a while or was it just kind of a spur of the moment? Well, you know, I've been involved with Chicano Park since about 1979. And um, I I'm a retired educator and I've always worked with Chicano students and helping them to, um, I worked in the community colleges, so I wanted to help students not only be successful there, but to think about moving on for higher ed and, right. you know, all, all jobs, all careers are noble, but we need people that are leaders that can make cha become change agents who understand our communities. And so I felt that was a really important way to um, act on those beliefs. And through my process of becoming an educator, I realized that our children uh, don't always see themselves, as you said, reflected in the world they live in. And the images that they often see are not so positive. You know, you look at what, what's covered in the media, you look what's on TV, and, you know, if you see a Chicano, usually they're a gangster, they're, you know, a guy or hanging out in the hood, you know, a robber, whatever, right? Or they're the maid or they're the guardian or the gardener, right? And so um, that's all... That's not to say that there isn't that in our community, but we're so much more than that. And so I felt it was important. And I had this idea about 25 years ago and actually wrote some original stories that this story then sprang from um, to create a book where kids could see themselves in the book, see themselves as part of a community that was vibrant and that was making positive change. Um, Again, this finding your voice and saying, we matter too. And to me, it's amazing that 
that's that's what the book says and it came out april 2020 and now we're in the midst of the black lives matter movement which again has been going on forever right, right. um and this message is the same people of color matter and we have given a lot to this country and we deserve to be seen we deserve to be acknowledged and so yeah the idea came about about 25 years ago and then i worked and i danced and i was in the community and now i have time to focus on writing again so here it is no that's great i feel like um obviously like as you mentioned representation is so important and i feel like something we don't pay attention to not just because it's not there but because you know the chicano community is very strong i feel like there's a quality that we have it's that we you know, we're very hardworking. We're very thick-skinned. That's not to say that we don't need these stories, you know. Uh, I feel like we definitely benefit from representation and from being told that we can do it or that we can be seen, as you mentioned earlier, going into higher education, I feel like, or, you know, going for those higher jobs, you know, like we can do it. And these stories are important. I feel like um, much like taking care of the park, knowing these stories, sharing these stories, um, you know, our community is very based on storytelling, you know, Mexican Americans, I feel like always grow up, whether it's on chisme or it's on, you know, what your grandma did or how far your parents walked to school. <laughs> There's always a yeah. good story. There's always a good story to tell. And we love stories. And I feel like I love to see uh, our stories in, in paper, you know, because they can live on. And so I feel like what you what you guys did with your book is is super important, and I I'm I'm thrilled to read it. It seems I have a little one actually, so I'd love to be able to read it to him. It'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. And you know the the point is to say to our our young people, um, you have a lot of local heroes that you can be really right. proud of. You know, right. yeah. and and these people came before you, and now you have an opportunity to stand on their shoulders and continue the work. Because it is, you know, I always think of it as kind of an evolutionary chain. And who's going to be the weak link? You know, let's not let that happen. Let's keep moving forward. You know, so this book is, is great for kids. It's great for families, especially newer immigrants who don't really understand the political environment we live in. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, really the voice of Chicano Park. But it's also for everyone to read and have a better understanding of why that park exists and why those murals, you know, sometimes are they scare people because they don't understand them. Yeah, but if you look a little deeper, they're just like newspapers on walls. They're, they're visual images telling stories, telling you the history or telling you about the hopes for the future, you know? And so Chicano Park is not a scary place. <laughs> And by the way, all of the proceeds from the book, I will be donating back to the Chicano Park Steering Committee and the Chicano Park Museum and Cultural Center that will be opening very soon. And Josie Talamantes has been leading that movement. Yeah, actually, a friend of mine, uh, so, uh, Jessica Bernal, she's someone that helps me a lot with the podcast. She was mentioning that they were supposed to open that this year, correct? Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Yeah, so there's a, there's a building, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, at the park, it's a brick building. And that building, you know, I I haven't, I don't know why it was originally built. I suspect it was originally built for the highway patrol substation. Right, okay. Um, but when we got the park, they actually gave, gave that building to the Chicano Park Steering Committee. 
but they weren't ready to really, you know, take control over a building and maintain it and staff it and all of that. And so they worked out a deal with the Chicano Federation. So for many years, the Chicano Federation was housed there. And then it somehow passed hands from the Chicano Federation to the San Diego Community College District. And there was a continuing education program there. Then they built the new Cesar Chavez continuing ed program down by the trolley. And so then it was vacated. And so we came back in and under Josie Talamantes' leadership, she negotiated with the city to get, to get it back for the purpose of creating a Chicano museum about our history, about Chicano Park, and about San Diego. And I think, from what people tell me, it's probably going to be the only one in the whole nation that's actually dedicated to Chicanismo. Wow. That's, um, it's that's been going through step. renovation. Yeah, it's been going through renovation and um, it's getting really, really close. Uh, so I'm hoping they open before the end of the year, but it's going to be soon, within six yeah. months, I think. That's great. I feel like, again, representation is so important. And these stories, they they should be told, you know, they should be spread. And I feel a lot, a lot of that will be, uh, well, it's thanks to the park, thanks to the murals, thanks to books like yours, but the museum will bring up all together. And I feel like that's super important because um, something I was talking to an Asasi, someone you mentioned that's part of your dance group, um, is that a lot of times uh, we might be interested in our own culture, right? Or even outside people might be interested in Chicano culture, but they don't know where to start. As you mentioned, this would be the first museum. So that's a huge step, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes we look for sources and we just don't know where to look. So it'd be great to say, Hey, listen, if you're really interested in the culture, start here, you know, and it's a jump off point. And I feel like we need that because again, yeah. I had to, uh, I'm the Chicano culture. I know it was through myself, you know I mean? My parents are, I'm first generation. So my parents are from Mexico and um, I, I love my Mexican culture but it is different from my Chicano culture, from my border, I call it border kid culture, you know, where it's like, I don't fit here, I don't fit there, you know, so I really found myself within the Chicano culture. So I had to, uh, my sister and I had to do a lot of this uh, searching by ourselves, you know, a lot, big part of it was going to events in Chicano Park or going to Barry Logan and, you know, just taking it all in. So I feel like it's great that uh, something like that is pushed for and that's gonna, I'm sure it's gonna thrive. It's, it just seems like, you know, and again, as you mentioned, with all the movements that are happening now, I feel like it's important um, to not just be seen, but to let people know that, you know, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, our communities are here to stay and we have history and beautiful, countless history. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, when I think about the work that's been done over the last 50 years, this year marks the 50th for a lot of things within the Chicano community. For instance, we just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Chicano moratorium that happened in Los Angeles. It was all about speaking out against the Vietnam War because in the Vietnam War, Chicanos and Blacks were drafted at a much higher rate than other communities and they were on the front lines. And so we had the biggest losses. So that that marked 50 years on August 29th. Um, The Centro Cultural de la Raza, which is another landmark uh, center that we have in San Diego um, that was created 50 years ago as well. And it was probably one of the first, I'm told it was one of the first Chicano cultural centers created. 
uh, and still exists in the same location 50 years later. Uh, Chicana and Chicano Studies at San Diego State just celebrated 50 years of existence. So there's something about this year. It was it was after the you know the '68 riots and all of the yeah. you know social unrest of that time, but a lot of things happened in 1970, and yeah. um, and yet I feel like we've come a long way, and yet there's still so much more to do, and so I'm hoping that with my little tiny book, <laughs> that I inspire other people to write, to put down on paper our history, to start to really elevate. Um, all of the movements that have happened here in San Diego, we've been an important part of the Chicano movement. And sometimes uh, we're overlooked. You know, we're kind of in the shadow of Los Angeles, and then we're so close to the Mexican border that we have this international lifestyle, yeah. you know, that we don't get the credit that we deserve for many of the things that we've done over the last 50 years. And so, you know, that's on my list. Those are the kinds of things I want to write about and I want to make a difference in, in that world. Mm -hmm. No, I feel like you're definitely right. As you mentioned, 1970 must have been a hell of a year because, yeah, I mean, for 50 years, uh, of so many things being done. And uh, again, on a point that you mentioned earlier, you know, when you look back and you see of all the things that have been done and um, things like getting Chicano studies in, in San Diego State, I mean, that's a huge part because now it's a major you know, you're not even having just a class and an introduction to now you can major on Chicano, um, Chicano culture studies. So that said, I feel like it's good to look back and appreciate that everything that's happened. But again, as you mentioned, we're not done. You know, this is for the long haul. And I don't know if we'll ever be done. But that's why I feel like people have to understand that playing a part of in your uh, in your community is so important. A lot of people think of like, oh, what's your dream job, you know? Some people dream about labor and some people don't, you know, some of us dream of having positions in our community where we can give back to the things that helped us grow. You know, I, I remember growing up, going to that park. I remember growing up, uh, you know, going to the beach and like, those are the things I want to preserve because that's what made me who I am. And I want them to be there for other people. So I feel like being part of your community goes beyond um, doing a weekend cleanup, which is great. Weekend cleanups are great. But, you know, I feel like I'd love to encourage people to go out there and, you know, try to be part of a, a community or a, a group or anything that will help in the long run, you know, and will inspire others. I feel like that's super important. I, it's great that you're looking into writing more. Do you have any ideas uh, for a couple of books in the future? Yeah, I do. But I think I'll let those be a surprise. <laughs> All right. one, though, one, though, that my husband is working on is um, it's a book of names. And it's a book of indigenous names. And one of the things that we feel really proud of is that we, you know, the Danza, the Danza Chichimeca, many people refer to it as Azteca, came to the United States in 1974. And uh, before that, you know, we didn't have much of a consciousness of our indigenous roots. Um, right. And now it's really beautiful to see, you know, all the indigenous symbolism that people connect to. Because I mean, all you gotta do is look at our skin and you know we got we got some brown we got some brown heritage there, yeah. which means we are of the Americas. We are of this land, this continent of the Americas. Natives. Yes. And um, so the book of names is about helping helping young people. They're always wanting to choose a name. You know, they always want to choose a name for their kid, choose a name for themselves. Um, that kind of de depicts that indigenous spiritual um, 
spirit that they carry. And so that'll be the next book that will be coming out is a book of traditional names. That's great. I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like uh, a lot of, a lot of, um, when, when a lot of immigration happens, one of the first things that happen here in the U.S. is the chasing of the American dream. And a lot of times people think that to chase the American dream, you have to assimilate 100 percent, you know. And unfortunately, that's when a lot of things get lost. And I don't blame. That's why I try not to blame first generation, second generation kids when they don't speak Spanish, because it's like, I understand, you know, your parents were probably frowned upon for speaking their own language. So I understand that you didn't grow up with it or grow up as part of it, but that doesn't make you any less part of our culture um, than someone that speaks fluent Spanish, you know, and it took me a while to understand that because I am fluent in Spanish. I'm fluent in English. So I was one of the lucky ones that, you know, the, the language made it through, but it took me a while to understand that it's like, oh, it's not your fault. You know, you're, it's a symptom of a bigger issue, you know? And uh, again, I love that we're learning to embrace our culture, learning to embrace our color. I feel like that's uh, something I've been hearing a lot, not just this year, but in the last couple of years is embracing the brown, you know, embracing, you know, brown is beautiful and all those sort of things. Well, that thing that you're talking about that happens to immigrants is we call that internalized racism. Okay. Right. So, Everywhere we go, we get the messages that we're not quite, we're not quite American, right? right. I mean, I don't know how political you want to get because I can get pretty Let's political. Go for it. Let's go for but, it. But you I know, love it. <laughs> our, our current president has been has been very clear that we're not welcome and that we're not real Americans. And um, we take that, we get that message in a lot of different ways. We get it from seeing literature and books where we're always absent, right? Yeah. We get it from um, the images we see in the media and that we see in newspapers and in movies that are negative. Um, we get it from people not even seeing us. That's a huge form of racism. I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but I have. Yeah. I'll be in line somewhere. And then, you know, like they take somebody behind me yeah. who's you know tall and white, right? And I'm like, hey, hello, I'm here. <laughs> I was next. You know, and yeah. and that is a form of racism when they don't even see us. And so we take a lot of those messages not knowing, and we call those microaggressions. They're right. always kind of picking away at our spirit, at our self-confidence. You know, they're hurtful. And, uh, and so what do we do? Well, we want to fit in. And so I'm not, I'm no longer Beatriz. You know, now I'm Betty, right? Or now I'm B or whatever, right? Um, I'm no longer Jose. Now just call me Joe, Joey, you know? Yeah. And so it's it's tough. It's really hard to get past that and say, you know, you have such a beautiful heritage to be proud of. And guess what? You happen to live in a country that is supposed to be a country of immigrants. Yeah. And so you are important and you matter. And it's okay, go ahead and maintain your culture, but also learn to live in this other world too. Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's my message always has been, learn about your culture, get educated, feel good about who you are. At the same time, go for formal education and get the skills that you need so that you can be a productive part of society as well. And we get to have two beautiful cultures to embrace, you know? Um, but that's what that's all about when you when you just refuse to learn it because it's too painful. It's too painful. 
Yeah, and I feel like it's a little bit of a spectrum. I feel like sometimes people will say, well, you know, I'm going to shun away from my roots. I'm going to shun away from where I come from. But a lot of people sometimes too will say, well, like, this is mine. This is all I want. I'm not going to learn anything else. So it's about being able to balance, I feel like, both, right? Because um, as you mentioned, this is a land of immigrants. So, you know, when you have someone, say, from like Filipino culture, the way you're going to be able to interact is by by taking in the American culture so that you have some a starting point, I guess, for in a way. So I don't know. I feel like, uh, as you mentioned, I'm not, oh, sorry, not a lot of people are lucky enough to be able to embrace it. And I don't blame them. You know, again, we do live in a society where we are ignored or we are, it is frowned upon, you know, especially things like uh, brown skin or um, for a lot of us that are Mexican American, we may be shorter you know, our hair might look a little too slick. You know, there, there's things that are obvious than that we grow up where TV keeps telling us that we should hate, you know, like buy this for that and buy this for this as, as if there's an issue with us. And we're, we're being constantly told, you know, I'm, it's true. I'm, it's, there's something wrong with me. And as much as I learn about it, I still feel it. You know, <laughs> I, I still there's still times I see myself in the mirror and it's like, if only this, if only that, you know. Um, that said, I feel like we have made the strides to appreciate our own color, our own hair, and I hope it continues again. It's okay to be different. And even that, if you want to be like other people, look at your culture. You know, there's so many people that look like us. And as you mentioned, sometimes it's hard to see that because we don't see the heroes that, you know, the heroes that look like us and the community leaders that look like us, aren't, we're not taught in school about them, you know, so that might be an issue. Most definitely. And, and so I have been talking with school principals and, and teachers, and a lot of them are starting to buy the book and I, you know, I'm willing to do some workshops with them and That's great. Uh, just, you know, help them, um, help them understand in a non-threatening way, you know, great. that diversity is about accepting cultures, accepting differences. They're, it's all good. <laughs> it's yeah. all good. One doesn't need to be better than the other. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a great way to put it. And I feel like that's one thing that comes up a lot of times when discussing American culture, you know, they say the um, history is written by the winners, you know? So when you look at American culture, a lot of times you'll say, uh, looking back at least now, you'll say, oh, well, that's not exactly how it happened, you know? That said, um, when we introduce culture or let's say, for example, your book, a lot of people think, yeah, that you're replacing, you know, what they're teaching, but it's just including it, right? Like, would you say that it's just like adding an extra book or would you say scratch what you're teaching about your kind of culture and use this? Or how would you say it would work best in a classroom? Well, it kind of depends on what they have, <laughs> but um, I mean, here's an example. I live in Chula Vista, and uh, I'm really involved right now with a movement to remove the Columbus statue yes, that we have true. in one of our of, parks. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And why do I want Columbus removed? Because he's a lie. It's a myth. What they say he did, he didn't do. He didn't discover anything, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't. We were already here. Native people were already in this land. They already had vibrant cultures. They had, you know, a money system for exchanging goods. They had everything they needed. Um, so he didn't discover. But he came here and he created, he committed atrocious crimes against humanity. Genocide, rape, enslaved people. 
So why are we putting someone like him on a literal pedestal and getting a holiday for to celebrate that? He's not even venerated at a very high level in Spain or Italy. And so what we need is we don't want to erase history. No, let's tell the truth about history. If you want a statue of Columbus, put him in a museum and talk about what he really did. But don't put him in a public park and venerate him as some kind of a hero. Instead, why don't we put some local heroes or some people who've done good for the community? So, you know, I, I don't think books like mine erase history. I think they tell the truth and they add to the history. And that's always good, right? No, I completely agree. But I feel like a lot of times when you, let's say, some of the grew up thinking that Columbus actually did what he was taught that he did. A lot of people take it personal because at this point, you, you, you're telling someone that's grown up, you know, that's 40, 50 years old, that something they've believed their entire life is wrong, right? So I, I feel like, um, like you mentioned earlier, there is a way to approach principals and teachers about this. Um, there's a way to approach people uh, that might get, I mean, for lack of a better term, hurt at the fact that you're telling them, hey, you're not dumb. It's not your fault. You were just told something that's a lie. Um, here's what really happened, as opposed to saying, you know, like, you know, you glorify, you know, you're glorifying a rapist, you're glorifying something committed atrocities. It's like, well, there's a way to do it. Um, that said, I mean, I feel like taking down the statue is definitely a start. I mean, especially with a lot of the movements happening now, um, uh, with, you know, with everything we're seeing on TV, with police brutality and things like that, from the last case with George Floyd to now recently Jacob Blake, unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot. I mean, besides protests and everything, there hasn't been a lot done besides symbolical things. So when people do mention statues, I do cringe internally a little bit because I feel like, like, oh, is it just symbolic? You know, like, is it just for the sake of shutting up a protest? But now seeing it from from what you mentioned, you know, like re taking another look at history, then I guess it is important. You know, it is important to, uh, well, again, not put those people on a pedestal because they, they don't belong there. Yeah, the organization that uh, we formed, we're a little coalition. Um, we're called Kanap Kwahan. And so we're working with the Kumeyaay nations of the region. And um, Kanapkwahan means to tell the truth. So that's all we're saying. Let's, let's be honest here. Let's, right. let's be honest. Let's take this down. We're not erasing it. Yes, he came to some lands over here. He was a you know, navigator. He did cross the ocean. But he didn't come here. And when he did get to those places, he did atrocious things to the people who lived there. So, you know, that's just one example. But I think that the book, in a non-threatening way, is trying to tell the history of this one little community in San Diego that, that came together, that found their voice, and that took action. And they made a beautiful park that's now a national landmark. You know, that's pretty amazing. And thriving, you know? to say the least. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Something that your book definitely brings up is that communities can get things done, right? I feel like um, whether it's a coalition, whether it's a committee, um, if you see something that you don't like or something, or you see your community, you know, becoming something that your community isn't a, shouldn't be a part of or doesn't want to be a part of, then we have a voice. I feel like that's something we forget sometimes, you know? There's this feeling of David versus Goliath. 
you know, when we look at bureaucracy because we say, no, like, what could we possibly do? Like, what could we say? Like, I don't know enough, you know, like I barely even speak the language, whatever it is. A lot of times we put blockades in front of ourselves. Um, or sometimes people don't care. Unfortunately, there's a lot of apathy also, but that said, your book shows that when a community, uh, community wants something done, they can get it done. Right. And I feel like that shouldn't be forgotten. You know, um, I mean, places like Chula Vista right now are thriving. We're seeing it with Barry Logan um, and I, a little bit of National City as well, you know, with a lot of local businesses and things like that. And I love to see it. That said, um, we shouldn't forget that, you know, the day that it isn't going right, we have a voice and we should, you should use it. Well, you know, the Constitution says we have a right to assemble and we have a right to free speech. That's right. Yeah. You know, so that's... Uh, not, not something that I think our current president really believes in. That's why we need to vote. We need to vote. We need to get him out. <laughs> and we need to make some positive change. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. yeah, we, you know, that's one thing that we're proud of in this country is that we do have a right to free speech. And it's important to assemble and to take action. Yeah. Uh, again, like you mentioned, our president definitely vilifies anything that doesn't go his way which is where I feel like a lot of this, um, again, I, I'd hate to, <laughs> I hate to condemn so much of like uh, mainstream media, you know, but a lot of times, you know, what we see on TV isn't helpful because it isn't the full story. And I'm talking about both sides here. You know, there isn't a proper side. They're both showing an agenda that they want to show. So when you show um, protesters, right, people exercising, um, their freedom of speech and exercising the freedom to assemble a lot of times it, it gets treated as um well rioting and looting and all these things that is not what the movement stands for and yes there is instances where that happens but i guess it goes back to the police's argument of bad apples right it's just as ridiculous for them as it is for us you know so accountability i feel like is a lot big part of it as well but again um i love I love the fact that you wrote a book that, uh, again, shows that a community can get things done. And, and it's broken down into a way that a lot of us can understand. Because, you know, when kids are younger, they're sponges. They take everything in. So this is the time that you want to tell them about these heroes, you know, because when they're looking at for something uh, as inspiration, then they can look at that. Yeah. Well, one of the examples in the book, uh, in the back of the book, is an interview with David Rico. and. Um, he is uh, the leader, historically he's been the leader of the Brown Berets. And the Brown Berets is an organization that's been um, really, I think, cast with a really negative light in this nation. You know, they're looked at as a, a militant group that, you know, um, did more harm than good. He even says, you know, a lot of people looked at us sometimes as devils, and then other people looked at us as angels. Yeah. And, you know, the Brown Berets came together because many of the Brown Berets, the original Brown Berets, were Vietnam veterans, okay? They served this country. They put their life on the line for this country. Right. And then they came back and, and they were demonized and they fought in a war that they didn't think was worth fighting for. And so that's why so many of them were were already comfortable with the military style organization and they formed the brown berets to fight for justice to fight for resources for people to fight for fair education you know 
uh, fair employment. And so they, they've been around and that's the work that they've done, but I think they've been very much misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times um, when you push against the status quo, somehow the status quo has a way to vilify a lot of things, not to say that, you know, what the news is telling us that is wrong is wrong. That said, we have to understand that there's a bigger picture a lot of times, right? Um, and and that's something I feel like I, I try to understand anytime a, a story comes out. I try to see the entire picture before I make a emotional decision. Because as much as I want to react, a lot of times I have to tell myself, well, what if it was something that affected my point of view, right? Or what if it was something that affected a certain idea that I had? So I have to take a second really look at the whole picture. And I, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't able to, uh, and again, I, I do it sometimes, you know, I do react sometimes. So I feel like that's why information is so important. That's why books are so important. Um, that's why I feel like one of the main things that I try to reach with this podcast is that, you know, give people the information, not to tell them what to think, but to allow them to think critical thinking. I feel like isn't as, uh, isn't as common, unfortunately, Um, and, and I don't mean that as a bad thing. It's just that a lot of people, you know, rather stick to an idea or an old idea and just take it personal, you know? So again, uh, things like this are important. That said, um, is there any, um, authors that you would recommend for anyone that it's looking into maybe like more adult uh, based books or anything like that that you recommend for someone that's looking into finding out a little bit more about their San Diego culture or Chicano culture in general? Um, well, locally, we do have a, um, a retired professor from San Diego State. Uh, his, I'm trying to think of his first name, but his last name is Griswold. I know it doesn't sound like a Chicano name, but he is Chicano. <laughs> and he's written a lot of history books about yeah. local, uh, local culture. Also, Maria Garcia, uh, she wrote a book called La Neighbor, about the neighborhood house in Logan Heights. Mm-hmm. And now she has another book coming out. I'm not sure exactly of the title or if I should divulge what I know about the title, but in there, she is showcasing a lot. I mean, probably a hundred local heroes over the years. And so that that's going to be a really great, great, a great book for people to learn about Chicanos in San Diego. Um, So that's Maria Garcia. And that should be coming out. I think she's doing the final edit. So coming out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I love to see it. I love, I feel like the more, um, the more you, you pay attention, the more you look for these sort of things, they're there, you know, I'm, I'm astonished as to how much um, there is to find in our, in our city, in our culture, whether it's like landmarks or mm-hmm. historical things. And I feel like I definitely don't, appre- unfortunately, I don't, I haven't appreciated it as much. So I definitely, yeah. I'm trying to make, a, I'm trying yeah. to make a statement, trying to make a point to, you know, if I'm going to read, try to read something local, but I'm going to listen to something, try to listen to something local. And I don't mean it as a chore. I mean it to embrace where I'm from. You know I mean? Sure, sure. The U.S. is huge, but, you know, why not start in your backyard? Yeah, I just thought of his name. His name is Richard, Dr. Richard Griswold. Griswold and he's yeah. done a lot of work. And there's another book that came out a couple of years ago called Chicana Tributes. And it was put together by Rita Sanchez and um, Sonia Lopez. And what they did is they focused on a lot of Chicanas uh, in the region that they considered to be 
chicana y chingona. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm in there. I'm in there. (laughs) But um, it's kind of cool. There's about, I don't know, 55 women that they showcase. And again, they, they have a few pages dedicated to each person, what they've done in the community, why they did the work that they did. And so that that's a history lesson right there. Yeah. That's great. Again, I, I feel like we we need these heroes. We need these local leaders because, again, we can look up. Well, I say it as if I was still young, but I still look up to a lot of people. Um, it's good to look up and think like, oh, that could be me. You know, I want to do that. That's it's not just possible, but it's encouraged. You know, we we want local leaders. We want people that look like us in our local governments. Uh, we want people that look like us, uh, you know, making choices for us. That's another thing I feel like people don't seem to understand. When uh, you talk of representation, it's not just in TV, you know, you want it where, I guess, quote unquote matters, you know, making uh, a decision, making legislation, making things better for our community. So when things come in the table, someone can say, actually, my community wouldn't like that because A, B, C, D, you know, instead of thinking like, oh, it doesn't matter. Let's just look at the numbers, because a lot of times, unfortunately, we may be seen as numbers, but, Mm -hmm. you know. Again, and we're, we're a growing population, and that yeah. that scares people. That, <laughs> yeah, yes, it, it scares yeah. people. I mean, what we're experiencing right now with the current administration is a backlash, and it's yeah. a backlash from Obama having been elected twice, yeah. uh, because people are afraid. You know, there's almost so there's only so many pieces of that pie available, and we don't want to give up our piece of the pie. But we really live in a huge a country with a huge pie you know there's enough for everybody you know really let's, let's share yeah. it up you know yeah yeah and the yeah. demographic is still about uh i believe it's still about 60 40 and 40 being the rest of us i mean i know it's scheduled or it's a graph that will overcome or minorities will be the majority within the next i think 10 years which as you mentioned is a lot of the fear that well, nationalism has. I mean, if there's something with nationalism is the idea of uh, having one true identity, I guess. And when you're bringing people from all these different cultures, not to say that we don't, because we contribute to the culture. That's something I feel like they don't seem to understand. Again, we embrace it and we contribute to it. We are part of the culture. We're part of society. Um, we just want, you know, we just want a little different sometimes. And it's just, you know, freaks people out. And uh, again, I feel like, as you mentioned, it's a, sim- it's a symptom from, it's like the pendulum, right? It swung too far to the right. Now it's far going too far to the left and it'll just, you know, unfortunately that's what we're seeing, but that's why it's important to vote. Not just, um, not just for president, but even our local elections. I feel like we definitely make more of an impact even in our own communities than we do um, federally. Not to say that voting for the president is important, but you know, if you want things done in your community, then you want to like people that think like you in your community. I feel like that's something that a lot of people, again, um, are, are not paying attention to, are apathetic to, if anything. Yeah. But this year, <laughs> I will say the president election is probably the most important. Oh, definitely. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But yeah. even to get anything done, right, we'd have to flip. The, we have to flip the Senate. We you know, we have to elect uh, new sheriffs, sheriffs that understand the issues within police departments, the militarization of police departments. So, yeah, it's a yeah, definitely from starting 100 percent important all the way down. And I just feel like as long as people pay attention, they'll see that there's issues. I feel like one thing that there has been with protests is that people are realizing that there is a problem. You know, I saw it within my own family, you know, my parents were like, why are you going to these things? And when I really broke it down to them, you know, as much as I could, 
and showed them the videos and everything. They're like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, there, yeah. there's a problem. It's scary. It's unsettling for people. But you know, what was really beautiful, um, well, what was really beautiful about all the protests that have been happening recently, unfortunately, I haven't been able to attend and I'm usually right out there. <laughs> but, you know, because of COVID yeah. and I am 65 and my kids are like, ah, no, we need you around a while which longer. Is, You're not going to Which is to responsible. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely understand. Yeah. Um, but normally I would be there, but um, I'm doing my behind the scenes work as you, as you can see. Yeah. But I love the fact that there were so many different, different representations of people out there protesting. Yeah, definitely. Black, white, brown, Native American, Asian, everybody was out there. Male, female, LGBTQ, whatever. Everybody was there because this is an important issue. And that makes us different. It's not just an issue that's that people are addressing from one perspective, but many people agree that things have to change. So I hope they do for the good of our country. You know, because I do, I do love this country, but yeah. I don't love some things about it. <laughs> That's one thing I feel like uh, every time I, for some reason, um, get into an argument with someone that thinks the opposite, you know, that might be right leaning or anything like that. They always say, well, if you don't want it, you know, if you don't like it, you know, leave. It's like, you don't understand. It's because I love this country that I want it to be better. You know, it's because I love where I am and where I'm surrounded by is because I know that it has a potential to be better. You know, you, why conform? Why? Sure. Things are better than they were 50 years ago, but why stop there? You know, let's make it yeah. better. Let's make it fair. Let's make it, you know, let's embrace everything. And I feel like that's something that, again, there's a reason why progressives are called progressives you know, and all that sort of thing. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, Beatrice, thank you so much for this. It was a great conversation. I hope that we can do it again. And I'm looking forward to the book. So if you could tell me a little bit of where we can find it, because I'm definitely going to grab a copy as soon as I can. Okay, well, you can, um, you can do a Google search and um, the Spirit of Chicano Park will come up through various sources. But we're actually selling it uh, specifically through our website, toltecapress.com, T-O-L-T-E-C-A press.com. And uh, like I said, all the proceeds that are coming from the book are going back to the park and to the museum. Um, and so we also have an email where you can contact us at toltecapress at gmail.com. Great. Thank you so much, Patrice. I really did enjoy the conversation. And if there's any uh, chance that you'd like to talk about any other topic, let me know. It'll be a lot of okay. fun. Okay. It's good oh. to meet you. And yeah, if you think there's something I can chime in on, I'd be more than happy to. It'd be great. I'd love to have you and uh, Ana Sassi on. You know, have a oh, yeah, little that'd be cool. Chicano discussion. I was talking to her a little bit about it after the um of the last episode. You know, these are, it's fun. It's fun topics and I'd love to learn more. You know, I feel like um, I don't have much to contribute, but I'd love to <laughs> learn a little bit. Anyway, Sounds thank like you so you much. To give. <laughs> thank you. Thank good you. to have meet a, you. Great. Have a good rest of your day. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. You. Bye.